Welcome to Gross Anatomy. Are we live, Lauren? We're live, Dr. Cohen. We are live, Lauren, with Gross Anatomy. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. we explore Where? the sights, sounds, smells of medicine and how it pertains to pop culture, movies, TV, books, and the world around us. And you are? Dr. Jason Cohen. <laughs> and I'm Lauren. And you are? And I'm Lauren Taylor. And today, we're very, 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 very excited to be joined by Dr. Elise Briscoe, B-R-I-S-C-O, correct? Yes. And I'm a boxing doctor. So that's my fun, fun fact. The boxing and doctor. I, but I you used know, to be a belly story. dancer. So you're an eye doctor. What did yes. you say about cancer? No, oh, no I said I used to be a belly dancer. Oh, a belly dancer. Wow. And then now I'm boxing. <laughs> Interesting. You know, you just made me think, Dr. Elise Briscoe, optometrist, which totally excites me because I, I personally have so many optometry type questions. But um, you just remind, by saying that you're a boxer, you made me think about, so, so what everybody who comes on our show needs to realize is, is that even though you're a guest, at the end of the day, the show is all about just me being able to tell ridiculous stories. <laughs> I'm kidding. But you reminded me of my uncle, Ray Skorica, who wasn't actually my uncle. He was a close friend of my dad's. My dad was a mob lawyer. And, and Ray Skorica was a boss. He was a peer boss. Uh, and he ran the pier, some of the piers down in New York City. And he was the former kickboxing champion. And so you mentioned boxer, and interestingly, even though he was a former kickboxing champion and he was a boss and like a mobbed up guy, he was a gentle giant. But I remember several times he had to have eye surgery because of boxing injuries, he would get detached retinas. So you just made me nervous by saying that you're an eye doctor who boxes and you made me think of my uncle, Ray Skorica, who had to get um, eye surgery. So I'm worried about, aren't you worried about boxing and being an eye doctor? Well, the good thing is when we spar, we wear those headpieces. So it's not like a professional boxer where you don't have the head protection. I have a mouth guard. I have head guard. I have nice, soft, cushy gloves. Whereas the pros, they have the lighter gloves. So it's, it's more, you know, it's like a brick when you get hit. Yeah. Uh, don't, that, don't get me wrong. Getting hit is no fun. I've had four yeah. questions. Wow. Yeah. And you're Not still doing boxing. it? And you're still doing it? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Do you? Boxing. It's from skiing, from ice oh. skating. I'm, I'm an all-sport athlete. Yeah. Oh, but when you box now, do you make sure to tell people don't hit me in the head? Well, my boxing trainer will not let me box with other students because I've had four concussions and I'm a single yeah. mom. So oh, wow. it, it, when I spar with him, it's completely controlled and protected. And do you do it as a workout? I do. I live for it. I just love the, the, the cadence, the sounds it, it's exhilarating. I don't know what it is. You know, I get stuck on things and right now it's boxing it. Like I said, it used That's to be awesome. I used to dance six nights a week. Now it's boxing. How did you first get into boxing? I know we're totally not nowhere near the eye thing, but I, I think that's super cool. And I think it's great for girls. And I actually want my younger daughter, my 14 year old to do it. So, uh, so, uh, so how, how did you get into it? How did you find it? 
Well, first of all, I'd be happy to introduce your daughter to boxing because I can do it in a controlled way. And one of my goals is to empower women and get more girls into the sport. So I'm an ambassador. One company is called Rebel Heart, and it is a female boxer who was in the Olympics and pro boxer. So she designs boxing gear for women and then uh, also uh, pro boxing supplies. So I, I post do their social media uh, but how I got into it was by accident. I had a class pass. I had extra points to use. I thought, what the heck? I've never tried it. I went into, it was called iron boxing. And yeah. I was the only girl, and it was really smelly and dark and underground. I mean, literally, it was underground. And I thought, oh, boy, what did I get myself into? And it was, I mean, it kicked my butt. And I was scared to go back the second time. And this is just not sparring. This is just yeah. mitt work and fitness, but uh, I never say never, and I don't like to be scared of things. So I kept going back, and I got better. And then before you know it, I was boxing three to four times a week with two different trainers and really getting strong. And my trainer is uh, Brian Valoria, four-time world champion. He's considered one of the top 50 boxers of all time, and I'm so grateful to have him train me and to take me on. So how, so, so if you don't mind, so I don't, you know, how does someone decide, hey, I need to go to an optometrist versus an ophthalmologist? What's the difference? And then how did you decide to become one over the other? If, if you don't mind my asking. Yeah, sure. Well, let me intro that I am an integrative optometrist and a clinical homeopath. So I'm an East meets West. I was trained in traditional, you know, medicine. We treat eye health problems, <clears throat> make sure pa- patients can see. But uh, my life journey taught, brought me down the path where I got involved in uh, more natural treatments. Uh, Western mes- medicine failed me and my family in a number of ways. I was looking for alternatives on homeopathy. Couldn't believe what these tiny white pills could do. I mean, my family, there's a, my grandpa's a surgeon, my uncle's a cardiologist. I mean, there's just physicians in my family. I'm like, what is this stuff? It works. So that's how I got into the integrative side. And I was, uh, actually, I was an EMT. That's how I was pre-med at USC. Oh, wow. That's how I put myself through school. I was a Daniel Freeman. I don't know if you remember. They were in Inglewood. Of course. Yeah. So I saw a lot of bad things at that Uh time. uh, You know, we had a, Inglewood was just full of gang warfare. So I saw patients with their organs on the outside, faces avulsed, you know, I, I, they would bring. As a, as a student or as an EMT? As an EMT. Uh-huh. Yeah. I would have patients handcuffed to the gurney with the police by their side. I remember one time, this is maybe why I chose optometry, is I was uh, aspirating the emesis from a patient's mouth. He, one of his hands got loose. And let me, let me translate that. Sucking yeah. out vomit. Yeah, I was sucking out vomit and okay. he was peeing through the gurney on nice. Reebok tennis shoes. I was yeah. getting pee on there and I was praying and thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know if I want to do this for the rest of my life. He no, got, that's important. Yeah. Well, he got one of his hands free and he started hitting me. So oh, wow. he screamed and I didn't realize the police were right outside of the uh, curtained off area where I was treating him in the ER and they just started hitting him in front of me and I was scared. Wow. Anyways, uh, a lot of the physicians there were not really happy. And I think in ER, you don't get to follow your patients and develop that relationship. 
and see them get better. You see them at their worst. They barely remember your name or your face and they're gone. In practice, I've watched my patients grow up. I see the children of patients who were children when I first started practicing. I mean, it's really a family. It's like a love affair every day. I see people I, I truly care about and I care about people I care about. So I love it. So what made you decide to become an optometrist? You know, interesting story. I I was exploring all the medical fields with my dad. My dad's a professor at USC. In what? He's a professor. Oh, in uh, electrical engineering and computer sciences. Yeah. Super smart guy. (laughs) Yeah, he is. I'm a daddy's girl too. So he's my idol. And he brought me to visit a friend of his who was an optometrist, uh, Dr. Michael Burns. And he probably doesn't even know he's the reason I decided to go in optometry, but he was so joyful and really happy with what he did. And I thought vision has such a great impact on almost every aspect of our lives. And I was already an athlete at that point. And I had learned from him that your eyes guide your hands, catching a ball, your shift and weight, being able to monitor your teammates, your, your opponents. And I thought, what was your sport? Me? Oh, I, I coach AYSO soccer. No, no, no. Back then you said you were already an athlete. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, tennis, basketball, skiing. Oh wow. Um, dancing. I was a cheerleader and I was small. I was always on the top of the pyramid and got drunk Uh times. Thus some of the concussions, but, uh, yeah, you know, just played a lot. Um, I was a disappointment to my family because, uh, I'm part of the royal family in Vietnam, and they didn't think I was being raised properly as a princess because I was very much a tomboy, very right. dirty, you know, playing sports. <laughs> and uh, that's just how I was. I didn't start wearing makeup till I started doing TV, and then they started putting makeup and drawing on my face. Same with me. <laughs> yeah, same with you. I know. I love, I love your lashes, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So um, that's how I decided to go in optometrist. So you visited, so you visited an optometrist and you just thought it was really cool. Yeah, I did. And what's, and what does, what's the, I, I don't actually know how much school, so you go to college, you do your four years of college yes. and then how much school is there for optometry after? Four year, so four years of undergrad and then four years of grad school. And so then, it's the same as med school, same amount yeah, of time. It, it is, except we specialize okay. in the eye. So the first couple years are parallel. We do the, the biology, the anatomy, physiology, pharmacology. We do all of that. And then we specialize on eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and then I did two postdoctorate fellowships after I graduated. And uh, one was developmental vision. So it's like amblyopia and strabismus, lazy eye, an eye that turns out, development of vision in children. And the other one was more primary care, so ocular disease, primary care, things like and, that. And those are like fellowships? Mm-hmm, yeah. And, and you do a whole year in each of those? Uh, one of, there were three years each. So how many years did you do? Six years of postdoc, but I was practicing. You can do your fellowship while you're practicing. Oh, wow. So you did four years of, of optometry school and then six more years of education. Six years for my fellowship. Yeah, two fellowships. Wow. Another two years to be did a you Did you know beforehand that you were going to be doing that much schooling, that much work? Like, did you, before you went to become an optometrist, you kind of had a feeling, hey, I wanted to 
be that subspecialized, do that much training? Or was it like, as you were going along, you're like, this is cool. Let me do some more. This is cool. Let me do some more. Yeah. You know, I, I think as a student, you think, woohoo, I graduated. That's it. I'm done. Right. And right. then you realize there's continuing education. I mean, you're a perpetual student. And if you're not, you're left in the dust. There's so many changes. The way I practice now compared to 30 years ago when I graduated are night and day. I mean, plus just all the clinical experiences I've amassed. But no, I did not know that at all. And, uh, you know, now I'm still on my journey. Uh, I have one patent. I ha- I'm working on my second patent. I've co-formulated two medications that are FDA approved. I just signed, ready to sign an agreement to design new healthcare products with a big company. And I'll, I'll let you know later on once it's inked, but cool. uh, I'm all about asking questions and finding answers. That's really cool. Let me ask you, so what, what does an optometrist do? So our main goal is to safeguard a patient's vision and make sure that their quality of life is as good as it can be uh, to connect them to the world through vision. So make sure that they're seeing well, that their eyes are healthy. Vision's more than just 2020. So that's why I did the postdoctorate fellowship with, uh, it's called COBD uh, for, for um, vision development. So what we work on is <clears throat> the input and processing of vision and how well the brain uses that information to coordinate with your eyes. Uh, with your hands, with your legs, with your body. Uh, it's for sports. It's for learning. There's a, as a dad, there's a very strong relationship between vision and learning. Uh, you know, it's not just seeing clearly, but being able to track your eyes quickly across the page to input the words efficiently and accurately. Uh, being able to use your eyes as a team so that, because your if your eyes are not aligned, then you'll see images that are slightly drifting apart. And that's a lot of work, work to compensate for that. It also can lead to double vision, blurry vision, poor eye-hand coordination, poor depth perception. So that's what optometrists do. And then I went... Why, why is I, as a patient, why would I go... Uh, I'm being totally naive and, and, sure, sure. and if there's a back way. Why would I go see an optometrist versus an ophthalmologist? The Why only would I time, see one versus the other? Yeah, yeah. The only time you need to see an ophthalmologist is if you need surgery. Okay. We do everything else. And, and, and I kind of feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, I kind of feel like, like a better eye exam is with an optometrist. Like they really focus on making sure all aspects of the eye is okay. Whereas often ophthalmologists are very like subspecialized into little minutia. Am, am I right? Kind of, or? It's true. I mean, there are general ophthalmologists also, but mm-hmm. it's like going to see a surgeon, a general surgeon, when you have high blood pressure or you have diabetes or you want your annual physical exam, they are more interested in doing the surgery and that's what turns them on. Right. But what turns me on is helping you do better in life. Mm-hmm. And there, and let me take a step back. Optometrists do do surgery in some states. We, in California, we can do anterior segments such as foreign body removals. Uh, I do intense pulse light. I do IPL in my office. On the eye? Yes, we use it for dry eyes. So we treat inflammation with IPL. Hmm. Yeah. I, I'm one of only 15 optometrists that does this in California but it is a growing field. Wow. So uh, do you guys do LASIK surgery? No. 
No, I do not do LASIK. I will refer for that. Yeah. Right. So you and I were talking um, about how, and I thought this was great. I didn't know it, that, that the, you told me the eye doesn't lie about someone's age. <laughs> Right. That's right. That is a sure telltale sign. So what do you mean by that? Well, because you can look great on the outside, either through eating right, healthy life, working out like I do, but your eyes are still going to age. So when you reach your mid forties, you lose the ability to see close up across the board. And there's no surgery that's going to take care of that. Like in Hollywood, everybody looks like they're 40 something. They've had, they've been, Pump, you know, plumped up, Botox, wrestling, all the fillers and whatnot, but they still need reading glasses. So right. that, when you put up, put on those reading glasses, it is a sure sign that you're older. But what about when you do, when you do the eye exam, um, could you tell looking at someone's eye, you know, on the exam too, that, that the person I is can. older? Yeah, I can. I can by the lens, how oxidized it is. Uh, that's the seeing lens in the eye becomes a little yellowish brownish as you get older. That's pretty universal. I can tell by the amount of shine in the, in the retina. Because mm-hmm. at, this is my theory as, because if I look at a parent and a child's retina, we do retinal photos to examine the inside health of the eyes, the parent's eye will be more matte and not as shiny, not as reflective. The child's eye, you see all this nervous tissue. It's real. It looks really juicy. So my theory is that as you get older, you lose brain cells, and the eye, eighty percent of the brain is related to vision and visual function. So where do you see it in the eyes? Wow, it's huh. pretty cool. Yeah. Are there things that people can do to keep their eyes young? Are there, you know, just like we can work out and eat right? Other things to do to keep your eyes young or not really? There are. And that's what I specialize in. I mean, some of it's self-preservation, but I've come up with all these different unique techniques, uh, combining general knowledge that's out there, but making it my own too. And what you do for your body is also good for your eyes. Mm -hmm. Take working out, you know, since I love working out. You're pumping you increase circulation, you pump more oxygen and blood to the eyes and the brain, and that helps keep the, the optic nerve healthy. It's been shown, in, it's been published that uh, for glaucoma patients, that is very good for keeping the optic nerve healthy. Eating right, the mm-hmm. eye is very, new, is very sensitive to nutritional imbalances, and what you are, what you eat, especially applies to the eyes. Carrots. What's the story about carrots and eyes? <laughs> Tell us. Carrots. Carrots. What's the story? How the heck did our mothers know that carrots are good for the eyes? So They're, it really is? It's not a fake yeah, thing? it is. They're rich uh-huh. in antioxidants. I tell my patients to eat the rainbow, but the, the antioxidants, vitamins A, C, and E, are especially good for slowing down re, you know, free radical cell damage in the eyes, slows down cataracts, slows down macular degeneration, Really great. Green leafy vegetables, awesome for the eyes. There's also been research showing that's good for glaucoma and cataracts. And, and it's, your body doesn't produce this pigment called macular pigment. It's this dark spot in the back of the eye. And the reason it is especially important in the digital age is because blue light can cause more harm on the eyes than sunlight. 
it actually penetrates the eyes and can lead to what's called macular degeneration, where you lose your clear central vision. So your body can't make the lutein and zeaxanthin. You have to get it through your food. And that's where green leafy vegetables, especially spinach and kale, come in. And then three types of fish have the zeaxanthin. That's the skin of trout and salmon, and then the whole sardine. So I advise my patients what to eat nutritionally. We talk about- My wife likes sardines. So did my dad. I'm not a big sardine guy. Me neither. As a kid though, as a kid, my dad used to give us cream cheese on toast with sardine sandwiches. Mm, How did that taste? (laughs) Back then I didn't know any better. I liked it for a little (laughs) while until I got older, but I don't know. I don't know if it helped my eyes though. I have a can of sardines in my kitchen that I've been- Trying to stomach to eat. Yeah. Know it's good for my eyes. And I just, it's been there for like two months. Yeah. But so is it, I mean, if we eat a ton of carrots, is that theoretically going to help our eyes? Is that really true? It, it will. Yeah. It mm-hmm. has carotene in it. It's good mm-hmm. for night vision and smokers. You know, nicotine robs your eyes of. Uh, I thought you were going to tell us that we should smoke. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. but it, 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 it uh, impairs your night vision. So when you have more vitamin A, um, it helps to replenish what the nicotine has taken out of your body. Yeah. Huh. I have a question. Does that apply to all smoke? Because I feel like my eyes are getting worse and I didn't know if it was fires. Like we keep having like unhealthy yeah. air quality. Does that, could that affect my vision the same way like a cigarette could? There's a lot of um, pollutants and then you have the ashes and the chemicals in the smoke and then that particulate matter sticks to your eyes. Then that can cause irritation, redness. Uh, It's like getting, you know, sprayed with chemicals. And, you know, the thing about the eyes is it's wet and it's this open exposed organ. So a lot of people who have environmental allergies, be it to cat dander, grass, pollen, smog, smoke, you know, cigarette smoke, um, they will, ex- when pollen counts high, they're the harbingers for allergy season. Okay. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you know about uh, transmitting COVID through the eye? Yeah, you know, the eyes are a portal to the body. So less so than inhaling through your mouth or nose. However, there have been some cases where they have suggested that COVID was, and there was one physician, in fact, who was flying on an airplane. They thought he got it through his eyes uh, because anything that's absorbed through the eyes can go through the throat, the nose, and down to your lungs. So yes, you can get it. And one sign of COVID is pink eye or the conjunctivitis and eye infection. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when you see patients, are you wearing, I I assume you're now wearing a mask when you see patients, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Are you wearing an eye shield as well? We have shields on our microscope, which we call a slit lamp, and then also on the phoropter, which the patient sits behind. Um, If I'm doing something really close up, uh, like I'm treating Demodex, which is lid lice, Mm -hmm. I I will put on shield. And then Uh uh, when I'm doing IPL, I have laser. Wait, you put the shield on because you don't want the lid lice to jump onto your eye? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm getting really close on that. (laughs) Yeah. What about floaters? Tell, tell me what floaters are all about. So floaters are little protein. Um, they're cells that have clumped together in the eye. And as we get older, the vitreous, which is this jelly-like substance that keeps the eye inflated, 
kind of sags. Looks like you see the skin on your face sagging. And when it comes forward, there's little pigment, there's little collagen fibrils and whatnot, and that's what it is. So in and of itself is not dangerous unless you see a sudden shower of floaters, like you're looking through a swarm of bees or a smokestack, because that could indicate a a retinal tear or detachment. Or especially if you see a veil or curtain coming down on your vision that that you can't see through, sure sign of retinal detachment. In fact, you know, we were doing a lot of telehealth video um, examinations when we were closed. Our office was closed for about two months. And one of my patients had a retinal detachment during that time. And thankfully, he called me. We did a telehealth visit. And I was on the phone. I was on <clears throat> doxy.me with him. And then I was on the other phone trying to get him scheduled with the surgeon. Next day, he had um, he had a retinal detachment surgery. Yeah. If you let and it that's, so long, it just tears off and you go blind. Right. And that's a pretty classic finding. It's kind of like the same as like Achilles tendon tear. You know, they describe you feel that pop kind of thing with an Achilles tendon tear. And at least I, I remember my uncle, Ray Skarika, the boxer, told me one of the times, he's like, it felt like a curtain came down. You know, that's what they describe, right? Like a veil comes down or a curtain Yes, comes yes. Down. Well, let, let me tell you, though, the thing about retinal detachment or any kind of eye disease inside the eye, there's no symptoms. There's right. no pain receptors in the eye to alert you that there's a problem. And that's why it's so important to have an annual eye exam is because, like, I have glaucoma. I've been doing this for 30 years. I had no idea that I had glaucoma until I started to lose vision. And people look at me and they say, Elise, how come you didn't know? I'm human. I'm just like, (laughs) I didn't feel a thing until I started to started losing vision. I'm like, what the heck's going on? Wow. You're an inventor. Is that what you were telling us? You, you, yeah, I I wish this was not a podcast and I, well, I can show you guys. Show us and maybe we'll try take some snaps of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I invented Nearsight, and this is after 30 years of hearing patients complain every day when they started losing their near vision, that they didn't want to carry reading glasses around with them. And I have, you were asking about, you know, your eyes don't lie about your age. That is one of it. So I'll have, I have a lot of movie stars who are patients of mine. I'm the Hollywood Vision Center. And they will tell me that they're 35, but they've lost their ability to see close up. So guess what? They are 45 plus. Right. Yeah. So after hearing patients complain about this, I thought, what, what do we always carry with us? A phone. And we don't just sit at our desk and work anymore. We're, you know, I will work on an Excel spreadsheet when I'm at Starbucks or I'm in an elevator, I'm answering emails and whatnot. So I wanted a solution that lived on the phone. So I developed this. You can't see it so well. And it is. I married a phone case with a reading glasses, and it's the first first uh, vision wellness device that lives on a phone, and it allows you to see on the phone and then off the phone when you hold it like this. Uh, let me find something to read. Here. And do you, do you need your light on, or it's just like a magnifying glass built into it? Uh, it is a reading lens that's attached to the phone. That's amazing. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. How long ago did you do that? Mm, well, we're in our seed round right now. We're raising capital so we can go to manufacturing, but we are launching next year. And I was in a CBS TV show called California by Design, and I won third place uh, for the People's Choice Award for the best innovator in California. And I that's was awesome. 
I was up against Uber. I, JPL NASA had an invention. Thermador was in there. There was an aviation company and they voted for me, a little Vietnamese girl from Chicago. That's awesome. That Are you, um, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's your accent. I hear Chicago. Now I hear Chicago. Yeah. I was trying oh, to yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Okay. So wait, so um, how come you don't go on Shark Tank? Well, we're pre-revenue and they prefer companies that they can scale who already have uh, revenue. Got it. One of our guest doctors, Dr. Edna Ma, who's an anesthesiologist on our podcast. I don't know if you, you I'm sure you listen to it. She's, she's amazing. She's an anesthesiologist and she was both on Survivor and on Shark Tank. Ooh, wow. Did she get funded by the sharks? No. So during the show, she didn't. But then afterwards, she said that often after the show, the sharks will then come up to her or other people who watch the show, you know, other investors will then reach out and try to make deals and offers. So mm. it's a great platform, she said, just to kind of make connections and find funding, even if the main sharks don't. So that's a little yeah. known secret she revealed to us. Yeah, she said it worked out even better than like the deal she would have gotten if she won, you know, like if they accepted Oh, really? Yeah, so. Yeah. Oh, wow. What made, you, what made you realize there was a need to, to create that, to invent that? Was it your own experience or someone coming to you or? I, I knew I wanted to develop a solution for presbyopia, which is the loss of your near vision, because it's such a huge pain point. I mean, it's just yeah. patients not only are upset that they need, they can't see what's right in front of them. They can't find their glasses when they need it. And yeah. then, especially where I practice, people don't want to be seen with reading glasses because it's an admission of your middle age. Right. So I worked with a patent attorney and came up with all sorts of different ideas. Uh, and finally, we settled on this, found a great industrial designer that's nationally known, and they've been working with me, uh, developed a team around me. And uh, like I said, we're the first phone case with that's intended for vision wellness and we're developing. That's really cool. It. Yeah. So, so are you hoping to put vision glasses out of business with that to some degree? No, it is a great adjunct to reading glasses. Right. This, it's like for restaurants and things like that. We're right? creating a new segment. This is, this is the mobile solution to reading glasses. If you're going to sit at your computer, your site's not going to work for you. But if you're working on your phone, using <clears throat> Safari, using, you know, your iPhone, whatever, you can do all of that without reading glasses and you'll never lose them. Think about how many pairs people buy like right. 12 pairs and they're losing them all the time. Oh yeah. My wife has a zillion pairs and, but it's funny, we go to a restaurant, no one has their glasses. I mean, for restaurants, it's amazing. I, I, it's funny. I remember my parents when they first started needing reading glasses and being with them and, and how upset they were with it. And then now my wife and I going through it. Right. It's such a weird rite of passage. You know, it's depressing, but funny at the <laughs> same time. And, and always like my brother-in-law, he's like so upset. He can't look at a menu. I mean, this is a brilliant thing because everybody has their phone. I love it. You hit it right on the nose. It's a rite of passage that people can't stand. And, I know. And there's been no new invention except for just reiterations of reading glasses. Right. And I wanted to make it, you know, tech savvy, hip, cool. Eventually, I want to get like a Louis Vuitton version, a product yeah. version, things like that. 
I love it. I love it. I think it's yeah. great. Well, we didn't get into really cataracts or glaucoma, which you said that you have. So do you go see an optometrist? Like, do you have your own person that? Uh, yes, I do. I have an ophthalmologist who takes care of me. I cannot look inside my own eyes. So he takes yeah. care of me. Yeah. So what do you do for what glaucoma? What are the? So I take drops and then uh, I practice what I preach. I work out every day. I eat healthy foods. Acupuncture works for glaucoma, actually, because it helps increase circulation to the eyes. And there have been published studies on that. Where do the needles go? Around the eyes. But not in the eye. No, not in the eyes. Yeah, but around it, like really right around it? Yes. I've never tried acupuncture. Have you, Lauren? No, I haven't. But I mean, we've had different people on the show saying that it really works. I know. I need to try it. I love it. Yeah, insane. Yeah, there's an acupuncturist. I have an integrative wellness group, so I have an acupuncturist and Chinese medicine doctor. How long have you been in practice? This year will be my 32nd year in practice. So you started when you were one? (laughs) (laughs) I I I did skip a grade, and I was the Uh youngest in my class, but uh, I've actually been around that long. Yeah, and it's been a wonderful life. Absolutely wonderful. Wow. Do you have partners? Do you have associates? I am part of a large network of doctors called um, Total Vision. So it's a private equity group that consolidated our offices. I'm a partner doctor. And have you been out in LA this whole time? I have. I've been in Los Angeles the whole time. Yeah. Nice. What, um, are you a big, are you a movie pop culture fan at all? Semi. Honestly, I'm so busy coaching, working out, being a single mom that I don't have a lot of time to watch movies. When movie theaters were open, I was a nice little escapist for my son and I, a little mini vacation. So I do miss that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I, I have one Achilles heel in terms of medicine. Like I cannot deal with my own eye. You know, I've, I've removed, you know, during residency, I remember, or fellowship, I removed, you know, someone's orbit and eye, and, and I've done stuff to other people's eyes. But when it comes to my own eyes, I, like, get all freaked out and ridiculous. Like, I, I can't, like, one time we dressed up for Halloween. My wife <clears throat> made me, an eldest daughter made me dress up as a woman, and they were trying to put eye makeup on me, and I, and I, could, I couldn't even do it. I couldn't even let them do it. I'm that pathetic. I don't know how women or even men do that because I'm. It's like my total Achilles. They're like, "Wait a minute, you're a surgeon." I'm like, "Yeah, but I can't handle eyes." Is people that totally ridiculous? It, no, not at all. People are naturally protective of their eyes. There is a, a a natural reflex. So when have you had the puff of air test as a screening for glaucoma? Yeah, I hate that. Hate it. It scares me. It totally intimidates me. And it's just a gentle puff of air, but I have patients who will go ballistic on me. I mean, they're yeah. literally like shaking. Yeah. Although now there's other ways, right? You don't have to necessarily do that test anymore, do it's you? It's a more gentle puff, or I can use a drop of um, anesthetic, and then I actually touch their eye with the applination. Yeah. So um, my kid was recently just watching American Horror Story, and she made us watch it right do you know that show the american horror story series and she made us watch my wife and i watched one of the seasons with her and there's um what's the actress's name sarah paulson is the actress 
and she played, the, it's the season of witches, it's called Coven, and she plays one of the witches who becomes the head witch. And um, in it, she loses her vision like grotesquely uh, mm. and gains like second sight, the ability to see stuff. And then her vision comes back and she loses her second sight. <laughs> And she decides in order to get back that second sight, she stabs both her eyes. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know why I'm sharing that story. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. I don't think I can watch American Horror Story the, based on that story. You just yeah. It's not really scary. It's kind of gruesome and a little yucky though. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what is, do you remember the last movie that you've seen? Because we always end every podcast with um, a recommendation. Do you have, or it could be a book, TV show, anything you recommend, pop culture like? Uh, remember, I'm a single mom, so I watch kid movies usually. Well, that works. I like kid movies. I just watched um, that Adam Sandler one on Netflix, UB Halloween or something crazy. Oh, how, how was that? I mean, it's, it's, dumb but it's like it's funny like for yeah. younger people i think so the any last, other parting the, thoughts you want to share with us people often forget their eyes they take it for granted you wake up you open your you open your eyes and you can see but uh, you know i've unfortunately had a lot of patients lose their vision due to neglect so mm. be sure you take care of your eyes and then a message you said you have a lot of med students who listen is it really is a wonderful life if you're looking for a profession where you can have a large impact on your patients in almost every aspect of their life. Uh, it's, it's so much fun. I've been able, I've really been blessed. I've experienced, you know, I've been the team optometrist for the Anaheim Ducks. Wow. Yeah. I was the only female doctor in the NHL. I've gone to the Olympics to work with athletes and train them. Um, that's I've really cool. Been on a lot of movie sets, actually horror films, where I've done their scleral lenses and made them look like they have bloodshot eyes, you know, huh. eyes, things like that. So, um, you know, there's really so many different aspects of optometry. It it is a wonderful life, and at the end of the day, you earn a living by taking care of people that you care about. Very cool. Right. Yes. Um, Thanks for joining us at Gross yes. Anatomy. Thank you, Dr. Briscoe. It was My great pleasure. meeting you. Yes, I feel like I learned a lot. Thank you so much for being on. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.